So I'm from Boston. You can't make it too cold for me. I told uh, an untruth last week, <clears throat> but I think I forecasted I was telling an untruth. Turn in your Bibles to book of Acts. <clears throat> We're in a series. That's my general method to preach series. Acts chapter 1. I really did think that I was going to make it through the section that we're in. We've been, what is it, 21 through 26 for a little bit. But I keep finding more sermons. And I think that I forecasted this last week. Um, Last week we we looked at, we concluded with a little bit, verse 22 on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and providentially a day that, as our brother prayed and mentioned, the better part of the Christian church. I think there are some Christians that celebrate um, the resurrection of Christ Monday, but the better part today. I thought, well, it's providential that I didn't really touch on it too, too much last week. So I thought what we'd do today is just kind of unpack the general truth that we find concerning the resurrection of Jesus. I'll read uh, Acts one twenty one through 26, but the focus is going to be verse 22. Then I thought maybe what we'll do is maybe read Acts, and then I'm going to hop over to, which I generally don't do, but I'll do this morning. Um, where would be a good one? Uh, Revelation 1. There's some things there where Jesus says, I have the keys of death. You remember that passage. And I was dead. I'm alive. I'm alive forevermore. We're going to look at that. Again, thematically, be something of a topical sermon on the subject, obviously, of Christ's um, resurrection. So if you have a Bible in front of you, please open it up. And we're going to read with me. You read in faith uh, along with me. I'll read in faith, God willing. And then we'll believe verse 22 together. Um, Verse 21, hear hear God's holy word. Therefore, it is necessary of the men who have accompanied us at all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and went out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these men must become a witness with us of his resurrection. They put forward two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, who's called Justice, Matthias. And when they prayed, they said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all men. Show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. They drew lots for them. The lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. From there, very briefly, just turn over to the book of Revelation. Revelation, I think, uh, in Greek is apocalypse. It means revealing is what it means. Let me read from uh, Revelation 1, 4 and 8, and then I think 12 to, to verse, um, verse 20 would be helpful. Uh, Revelation 1, verse 8. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace. This is from the risen Christ. From him who is and who was and who is to come, the great I am. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. All the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, so it is to be. Amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, jump over to verse 12. This is, this is the beloved Apostle John who sees the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what would happen if we could see Jesus Christ physically. We wouldn't give him a high five or anything like that. That's silly. We would be on our face before the glorified Christ. Then I turned and saw the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man. There's Christ. Clothed in a robe, reaching to his feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool and snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it had been made to glow in a furnace. His voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, that's the church, and out of the mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore write these things which you have seen and the things which are the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we do love your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you first loved us and died for us while we were your enemies and reconciled us to yourself, took us out of our death and sin and misery and made us alive Jesus Christ in yourself and now we're no longer reckoned to be criminals but your children your beloved sons and beloved daughters and we pray on this day that we would grow less in love with the world and that we would be restored to our first love in you Jesus Christ that we would love you infinitely above anything else even our own lives Lord that we would be nourished in our relationship with you and Oh God, if there are any people here that don't know Father, your Son, savingly, that today would be the day that you give them um, eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to love uh, the one that we love. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So back over to our book of Acts again, but we'll be looking at this kind of as a thematic sermon considering the resurrection of Jesus. And just maybe to highlight some things, um, when I look at a passage or unpack a a verse or something. I, I'm looking for certain themes and sub-themes, those kind of things. And if you were to look at what we're considering with verse um, 21 and 22, certainly, what you have is you have the movement of Jesus Christ from the estate of humiliation to his state of exaltation. So he went from suffering, he went from cross-bearing to, to crown, to, to glory. And, and if I could say related to the theme of Christ going from humiliation to exaltation, which is what um, we, we see with his, his death and his burial. The moment he rises from the dead, he enters into his estate of exaltation. And beloved, that's, that's the scheme for all of us as believers. We try desperately, I try desperately to make heaven uh, on earth. We try to be as healthy as we can be, as wealthy as we can be, and get everything just set up with our kids and our grandkids, and everything's going to be perfect, almost heaven. We, we know it's not heaven, but we try to make it almost heaven. But it never is heaven, <laughs> not, not even close. 
the estate of every believer will be the states of Christ. Humiliation in this life, exaltation in the next one. Cross-bearing, carrying in this life, and then crown-wearing in the next life. And we, we see that. But we do see, as well, the triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christianity, properly understood, is a triumphalistic religion. Not like Islam, that triumphs with the sword and they kill you to triumph. That's, that, that's not the triumphalism that I'm referring to. But Christianity, properly understood, is a triumphalistic religion. It means that Jesus wins. But Jesus wins markedly unlike the way that natural man thinks win. Natural man thinks win, give me a sword and I will kill you, and I win. That's natural man. But when we look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it shows us that God's ways are not man's ways. Natural man would not come up with the way of Jesus winning. They just wouldn't. If natural man were to come up with the way that Jesus wins, he would roll through the town with tiger, tiger tamps and tanks and kill everybody and say, there he wins. But th- that's not the method. The triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ is on the cross. Colossians chapter 2. He brings to open shame the, the powers and the principalities. He shames them as nothing. So death, he, he had come for death. And that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ attests that the death has been accepted. So the life of Jesus does not terminate in failure. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was not a cry of failure, but a cry of victory. And when he rises from the dead, it is the attestation of Almighty God that Jesus Christ has won. He is the victor. And in him we are victorious. And again, I always mean to draw us back because our flesh is like, that's right, that's right. Quick, get us the rocks so we can throw it at the Tai Chi Center. No, that's not the victory of the Christian. The Christian's victory is found in Christ. We, we cross bear now. We carry our crosses now. And when we die and go to be with the Lord, then we are victorious. We, we can never lose that scheme. But we, we do serve a triumphant Christ. And in him, we are triumphant. Even as I prayed so much of this life, we don't feel very triumphant. We don't feel like we're winning. So much of our life, is it not true that we feel like we're losing physically, emotionally, in our families? When you start off in your life and you're 20-something, you think you're going to have life by the tail. And by the time you turn 40 or 50, you see that life is beating you by the tail. And you feel like, well, I'm not winning. Oh, oh no, no, beloved. As a believer, you are winning. Because it's not your victory, it's his victory. So all this encompassed by the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And another basic lesson, and if you've been at this church more than five minutes, you know that this is a common theme with me, because I think it's a common theme with the Bible. When you see Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, it teaches us something very basically. It means that there is life after death. I think, well, did they send you to seminary to learn that, Pastor? No, I, I knew that when I was driving a truck. When I was a believer driving a truck and I read the Bible and I read this, I said, wow, there's life after death. Not only does the Bible tell us there's life after death, there's something else that tells us there's life after death. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Ecclesiastes that he sets what in the hearts of every man? You can give me a card-carrying atheist. Card-carrying, because I have card-carrying atheists in my family. You could bring a card-carrying atheist into a funeral into the house of mourning. And you know what I know? When I'm looking at their face, they know there's life after death. 
Oh, they're going to tell you to their face, spitting mad. I don't believe any of this. I don't believe this. I don't. We're just going to be dead squirrels on the side of the road. They don't believe what they're telling you. You can see it on their face. When they're looking at that corpse, that lifeless corpse, they know that God has sowed eternity into their hearts. It testifies to us. It's the written law, Romans 1, Romans 2, in our conscience. And then the Bible clearly tells us there's life after death. And the reason the resurrection is so, I mean, for, there's so many reasons it's, it's so important. The reason we need to hear this all the time is because we have the flesh. And because as we, oh, yes, yes, life after death, yes, interesting concept. I believe that. And then you leave church, what happens? I got to go to work. I got to buy this. I got to do that. I got to, got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. And then what happens? We live like pagans. We live like animals. Like we just have a body, like we don't have a soul. Like this life is all that there is. Isn't that true? Have you ever done this test? You, you start the work week, Monday, and at the end of the day, take this test. How much did I think of Jesus today? Did I even think of being in heaven today? No, no. What did you think? Ah, the truck, the clutch went, the blah, 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 blah. That's what we think. And then what are we living like? Practical atheists. Like this life is all that there is. And this is the benefit of what we're doing here. This enterprise, when we say he lives, I think we should say he lives every Lord's Day. He lives. We should say he lives every single day that we open our eyes. He lives. We, beloved, we need regularly to hear there is life after death, a real life after death. Either the benefits that we talk going to be with God in Christ or being cast away from his comfortable presence. Because when we don't really believe it, we live like practical atheists. And then we live like the earth is our heaven, and it never is meant to be our heaven after the fall. It's going to be the new heavens and the new earth. So all of those themes are are, are tied in there. And obviously, given what I just said, tied into the, the death and the resurrection, life after death teaches us over and over and over again that song that we quote all the time, I'm just a passing through. That, that this, is, this is a blip. Our life is a blip. I don't know how long your blip is going to last. Maybe God has, has determined your life will last seven years. I don't know. Or 17 years. Or, or 70 years. I have no idea. But in relationship to eternity, where Jesus is now, Revelation 1, he was dead, he is alive forevermore, resurrection life, We're pilgrims, 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 and this is the end of our life, resurrection. Resurrection life to be with a resurrected Jesus. And you're going to say, well, Pastor John, this is like the ABCs of Christianity. What do you think? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Now, this was not the case in the church of my youth. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. We went to church, my family, Every time my dad was a daily mass taker, I'm not, this is, I'm not promoting Catholicism. I really am a, a Calvinist. But my dad went to church every day. And when those churches, the doors were open, it didn't matter where the blood was coming out of your eyeballs. You were in that hard bench. You were in church. And so this, this notion of here coming and looking at Christianity 101, knowing that there are people that twice a year they go to church, unlike what I did. There are folks who say, yep, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. I go to church on Easter, and then I go to church on Christmas. 
And I'm not picking on you. If, if that's you, I'm happy as a clam that you're here. And then I hope I see you next week. But, so, but whoever comes here, I think, given what we are celebrating, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, it would be helpful for us to look at this particular passage and to walk through what I've just mentioned, the ABCs of Christianity. This is, this is fundamentals. So this is Christianity 101. Now, this is my belief, why I think this kind of a sermon, and this particular sermon, hopefully, is, is why um, it's requisite that we preach these kind of things. Is my belief, based on the book of Amos, the book of Amos says there will come a day when there will be a famine in the land. Do you know that passage? There's going to be a famine in the land. It's not for food. It's not a famine food. Sadly, there are many people in the world that are suffering famines for food, but we're not one of them. And it's a famine for the Word of God, not just having the Word of God, but actually reading the Word of God and understanding the Word of God, loving the God of the Word, and living for Him. That's the famine. And and Amos says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's going to happen in the visible household of faith. I bet a hundred bucks that everybody in this room has a Bible. And if not, if you don't have a Bible in your house, you see me, I'm going to give you a Bible. So everybody in this church could have a Bible. But the famine is that people are going to have a Bible, but they're not going to read it. And they're not going to understand it. They're not going to love it. And they're not going to live by it. Beloved, I, I don't mean to be melancholy or persnickety or, or a prickly pear. I'm probably all of those things. I think we're there. I, I think we are there. I think the better part of the Christian church doesn't read their Bible <laughs> and, and they don't know the ABCs. All that to say this, as I'm getting ready to, to walk through the ABCs, I don't want to offend anybody thinking, well, we're in like the two or 300 level at least. So why are you going back to the 100 level? It is because my belief is that the better part of the Christian church is not even at the 100 level. And, and just to show you that I think I'm right, could I go to gobs of professing Christian young people, let's say, like let's say 18 to 25, raised in the church, and pick your church, take your pick, it doesn't matter, Roman Catholicism or Protestants or Reformed or Armenian, take your pick, it doesn't matter, but raised in the church. And I would ask these 18 to 25-year-old young people, supposedly Christians, so, can boys marry boys and girls marry girls? Can a boy turn himself into a girl? Can a girl turn himself into a boy? What are they going to tell me? Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Our kids, Reformed kids, OPC, JPC, super Reformed, they are going to tell us that. I've had them tell me that. What's, What's happened? Didn't we homeschool them right? Didn't we send them to the right Christian school? Aren't we reformed enough? What's happened? They don't know their ABCs. They're in the church, but not in Christ. They don't know the fundamentals of the faith. And therefore, the superstructure that they're trying to build is being built on a, on a, on a, on a foundation of sand. They don't know. You know, as mother and father, if I ask you, show me in the Bible that Jesus is fully God, fully man. Show me. And you, you go. As our brother quoted, the I am. Exodus 3, John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can. Ask your children. Get out your Bible. Show me Jesus is God in the Bible. Show me Jesus is fully man, the only mediator between God and man. Show me Jesus died for sins and rose again for our justification. Go to Romans. Go to Ephesians. 
Go to John 3.16. Show me. Beloved, there's a reason we don't ask our grown kids that. You know why? We don't want to be embarrassed. There is a famine. There is a famine. So at the risk of, and I'm not picking on anybody, at the risk of offending anybody, we, we need to go back to the basics. So when we come and say, He is risen, and we know as believers, we don't want our friends and our family, particularly our family, to go, He is risen. He is risen. There's a place in the book of Isaiah that says your religion is all R-O-T-E religion. Your folks just told you to say this. But it has no effect on your heart. When you say he lives, he rose from the dead, he lives for me, I live on his resurrection power. It doesn't affect your mind. It doesn't affect how you do work. It doesn't affect how you do marriage. It doesn't affect how you dress yourself, how you eat, nothing. But for the true believer, when we say he lives, my Christ lives. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You see the difference, beloved? So you, you see. So this isn't merely like, yes, it's resurrection. You're supposed to say this. We all know it. No, beloved. No, no. The better part of the world doesn't know this. The better part of the church doesn't know it. They can say it. But they don't know it. Many are called and few are chosen. Broad and wide and many are on the the broad path. Very few. Faith is a precious... Everything that we're saying about Jesus, dying and, and rising and life after death, is faith. Faith. When the Son of Man returns, will he find what upon the earth? What? Faith. Faith is a precious thing. Faith is rare and precious in the church among professing believers. He is risen. He's really alive. We don't serve a dead Christ. This is not just some kind of an idea that we do, some nice thing, traditionalism or something like that. No, if it is, it's not for me. He lives. He died. He lives. And so when we die, we, we will live. All compass. So it is something of a basics. And when you say, well, pastor, if you think we're in the famine, what's the answer for, for being in the famine? What's the answer? We're, we, we are, in, in fact, partaking of part of that answer. Part of the answer for biblical ignorance is coming into the church. And you know when you should come into the church for worship? Every Sunday when you wake up, if you have strength to get out of bed, if you don't have strength to get out of bed, call me and I'll pray for you. But every Sunday you get out of bed, it's the Lord's Day. You're required, we're required to, the fourth commandment. <laughs> the Bible tells us, don't forsake the gathering together. Again, providentially, if we can't, we can't. But there's a difference between can't and, 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 and I don't want to. So are we out playing golf, but not worshiping? If you're playing golf and not worshiping, you're going to be ignorant on these things. Because when we come into the house of God, week in and week out, what are we supposed to be listening to? The word, the word, the word, the word. This. And I I hope, I pray to God that this is what my ministry is. 
I don't want to tell you what I did on my vacation. I don't take vacations anyways. I don't want to tell you funny stories. I don't have any funny stories. But it's supposed to be word. And so if we think, well, I don't, I don't, I don't know enough, then we, we gather together and we're built up in the words. And if you say, well, my kiddos, I want my kiddos to know Christ and the death of Christ and why he dies for our sins and he rises for our justification. I want my kids to know that. Then what should you do? Take them to a ministry every single week under the the preaching of the word of God. And so when your kids say to you, mom and dad, I don't want to go to the church that teaches me the word of God. I want to go to the church that does Kung Fu and Tai Chi. What should you tell them? No, buttercup. No. If you want to do tai, Tai Chi, you can do it Monday through Saturday. But I want you to know the Word of God so you know the subject of the Word of God. And what's the subject of the Word of God? Look at our text. To whom do these apostles in our passage, to whom do they belong? The text tells you. Jesus Christ. And of whom do these witnesses witness? The text tells you. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has been in heaven by this time. The risen Lord Jesus Christ sends out men, apostles, disciples, believers, witnesses. He sends them out. And he sends them out with a a charge. Some of you all are are military men. When I watched my son commission in the army, man, it was a tearjerker. I mean, I thought, this is serious stuff. They gave him a solemn commission. There are a lot of people, men that take the pulpit, they don't understand that solemn commission. Every believer here has a solemn commission. What's your solemn commission? To testify that Jesus Christ lives. He lives, he lives, he lives. There's a, there's a hymn, I know that my Redeemer lives. I think, is it Luther? There's, there's a thing called like shake singing or something. I watch it all the time. I know that my Redeemer lives. Glory, hallelujah. That's what we are, are for. So the main subject of the Bible, and I'm not, I don't want to be overly simplistic, is Christ. So when we are looking at this sermon, you think, well, okay, it's an ABCs, Fundamentals of the Faith. Yes, okay, what's the Bible? The Bible is the Word of God. The inspired Word of God is not a cartoon book. It's not written by a bunch of guys out in the, the desert that took too, too much sand. It is the inspired, holy Word of God. And it teaches us about our Savior, Jesus Christ. You remember Christ on the Emmaus Road after he rose from the dead, uh, Luke chapter 24. He's talking to two guys, two of his disciples, and he providentially prohibits them from seeing who he is. And he's talking back and forth with them, and they are devastated. He says, why are you guys so upset? And they're like, are you the only guy that's not from Jerusalem? We thought Jesus was the Christ. And then you remember, remember what Jesus did? He went from Genesis to Malachi, and he said, you foolish disciples. Did you not know from Moses to Malachi, it all taught me. The seed of the woman is going to crush the seed of of the, the devil, Christ. The seed of Abraham, Christ. The seed of David, Christ. Born of a virgin, Christ. Right? So week in and week out, we should put ourselves in the worship of God, but under the ministry of the word, knowing, knowing, that the word is pointing us to Jesus. Pointing us to Jesus. When you take a test, if, you could, if, if, I, if I could tell you, I'm going to give you like 90% of the answers right now. 
10% of the answers are going to be really hard. You'll have to study them for the rest of your life, and you probably won't even get it. It's so hard. But I can give you 90% of the answer now. Wouldn't you say, tell me what's it, what's about right now? The Bible fundamentally is a book about the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. The Bible is a book of redemptive history, taking sinners out of their sin and bringing them to their Savior, Jesus Christ, and then bringing us to Christ here in this life, and then what? Taking us to be with Christ in the next life. So, beloved, the Bible is fundamentally about Christ. And when I say Christ, again, maybe in the church context, in our context, there's Reformed Protestant Christians, whatever we, we, we are, a lot of us didn't come out of the womb into what we are. I was a Roman Catholic married to an ex-Hindu. A Hindu. So if you had asked me about Jesus or my, my wife about Jesus before we were believers, I would have given you lots of things. Oh yeah, Jesus is this and Jesus is that. When we talk about the book being fundamentally about Christ, the one who dies, the one who rises, it's the biblical Christ. There are a lot of other Christs in the world. Matthew chapter 24. Am I right? Talk to your unbelieving cousin, your unbelieving sister-in-law. And what are they, oh, you know, Jesus is like this. He's one of many. You can worship Sai Baba, uh, Buddha, any of these things. He's just like one like that. No. The Christ that died on the cross is not like Sai Baba or like Buddha. The, the, the Christ that rose again is unlike any other. Jesus Christ is Emmanuel. When we are saying he lives, it fundamentally proves that Jesus is God. He is the second person of the Godhead. Now, to, to the natural man, if you don't have any faith, it, you could be the smartest guy in the world. My father-in-law is an organic chemist, Hindu. He could run circles around me uh, intellectually. I tell him there's one God. There are three persons in the divine Godhead. Christ is the second person of the Godhead, born of the Virgin Mary, overpowered by the shadow of the Holy Spirit, born of her, yet without sin, who dies for sin, rises for our justification, and he looks at me like what? Like I'm a chimp. Like I don't have two brain cells to rub together. But is it intellectual capacity, beloved? Why do you believe? Are you, are, are, you, are you smarter than they are? Why do you believe? God, the Holy Spirit, gave you eyes to see. John Newton, amazing grace. So the Christ that we profess is only the Christ of the Bible. There are many false Christs that have gone out into the world, many of them. And so when we hear, let me tell you what I think about Jesus, we should be a good what? What does the Bible say? Acts chapter 17, a good Berean. Did your Christ go to the cross? Did he say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did he rise from the dead on the third day in fulfillment of scriptures? And if he didn't, it's a false Christ. And you're a false prophet. And I'm going to cling to the real Christ. The, 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 we so need this. We need it for ourselves. We need it for our kiddos, our children, our grandchildren. But we need it. Even as true believers, we need to hear this. Because we, we, we live in an antichrist culture. I'm not picking on the culture. I, I was born and raised here. I love this country. But all day long, we hear a cacophony of other voices. Really? John, don't you know? Virgins don't give birth. 
and dead people don't get out of uh, graves. Oh, yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. The Virgin Mary gave birth. She did. And Jesus got out of his grave. He did. How do you know? The Bible says it. Well, that's circular reasoning. Have a nice day. Jesus rose from the dead. (laughs) Beloved, don't let anyone talk you out of believing the Bible. Don't. Was Nietzsche, God is dead? Guess where Nietzsche? He's dead. Don't let anybody talk you out from the simple truth of the Bible. When you come here, I mentioned Catholicism versus Protestantism. Obviously, I'm a Protestant minister. I think the Roman Catholic Church teaches a false gospel, which is why I'm a Protestant. But when we look at this business of Christ being raised from the dead, Roman Catholics believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Protestants believe Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Why? Because the Bible says it. This is, this is a fundamental of the faith. I have a whole section, but I'm not going to talk about it. On dogmatism and doctrine, when we, when we, not only do we live in an age where there's a famine to read in the Bible and know the basics, I believe that we live in an anti-doctrinal age, even in the church. We think doctrine bad. This is how it's presented. Are you going to be a doctrinal church? Or are you going to be like a practical church? Of course, practice is all real Christianity. And if you believe in doctrine, you're a Pharisee and you're just dead orthodoxy. I utterly reject that. I utterly reject that you can be good without doctrine. I utterly reject that. It's not biblical. It's first believe in the truth of Jesus and then live a thankful life because of what Christ has done. Does that make sense? So when we, are, when we hear our well-meaning Christian family and friends say something like this. Well, I love the person of Jesus. I'm not in love with propositions about Jesus. That's stuffy doctrine. Beloved, it sounds really pious. There's a saying like on the billboard, it's relationship, not religion. You know what religion means? It's kind of like the idea of covenant. It means that we're in friendship with God. It's kind of silly. It's like saying it's not about relationship, but it's about relationship. When we say, I'm, I'm in love with the person, but not the propositions, the Holy Spirit converts us with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of Christ. Father, sanctify them in thy truth. Thy what is truth? Word. Of course I'm not saying I bow and kiss the Bible I mean, I would if I, I, I felt like it, I would kiss the Bible. It's the word of God. I, I don't. The church of my youth would kiss the Bible. But it's the Bible that brings us into the relationship with, with God. God, the Holy Spirit, uses the Bible to bring us to Christ. The gospel is, is doctrine. The, 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 the gospel is the doctrine of the, the living Christ, the dying Christ, and the rising Christ. Charles, what Charles Hodge. Charles Hodge says the doctrine of Christ's resurrection is fundamental to the gospel. And he's he's referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 6. So the ministry of the believer as we live in this world, as we, we tell people, listen, be the best citizen you can be, be the best mom you can be, the best dad you can be, the best worker you can be, but we're leaving. We're all leaving. We're all leaving. 
and we're going to present ourselves before the living God, and he's holy. The only way to stand before a holy God safely is to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus, our sin bearer. And we know that his atoning sacrifice was accepted by God the Father by the resurrection. That, that's, that's the message. You say, well, you're, you're saying the doctrine of Christ, the doctrine of man, the doctrine of sin, teaching. Doctrine just means teaching. Yes, that's exactly right. Our church, the church, our country, Christendom, needs to recapture sound doctrine. They're trying to build on sand. They're trying to build on Christless teaching. I'm not arguing against godly practice. We should live for Jesus. But what Jesus? The Bible, um, um, J.I. Packer, Anglican. Some people don't like him. I love him. Um, He had some things I don't love, but he wrote this. Doctrinal preaching certainly bores the hypocrites but it is only doctrinal preaching that will save Christ's sheep. Did you hear that? Doctrinal preaching certainly bores hypocrites, but it's only doctrinal preaching that will save Christ's sheep. I like, um, I like watching um, cultural and political philosophers, some of who are unbelievers. And I was watching two in particular last week, and I, I just am interested in some of the, the things. And one of the fellows said something like this. He was interacting. He's an atheist. He was interacting with Christianity. And he said, well, the church, Christians, have done a lot of harm to people over the years. And I thought, well, rather than get a bee in my bonnet, I kind of agreed with him because he gave some examples of some professing Christians that did some really bad things. But then this atheist philosopher went on to say, but don't get me wrong. There's a really good place for Christianity in society because the church has built um, uh, hospitals and they've built schools and they've done other social good. Do you see what he's just done? Do you see what he's just done? What has he taken away from the church? Christ. Christ. There's no dying Christ. There's no rising Christ. There's no Emmanuel, second person of the Trinity, becoming flesh, Christ. There's no miraculous God. It's a social program. I'm for education. I'm for medicine. I'm for hospitals. But he just took Christ from the church. I watched another man, political theorist, that I really like. I think he's a genius. I wish he was the emperor of the country and could wave a a magic wand and get everything he wants for the country because I think the country would look great, I think. I, I, I don't know, but I think so. And I told my wife yesterday, I've been watching him all week. I'm like, this guy is a genius. There's no Christ. There's no Christ. He's going to make America perfect, free market, no more communists. It's just going to be wonderful. What's the problem with that? Even as much as I kind of like what he's talking about, he's going to die someday. In his whole life, given to eradicating the world from the scourge of communists and making America a capitalist, wonderful, free market 
country, which I think would probably be good. But what would happen at the end of your life? You spent your whole life for that. What's going to happen to you? You're going to die. You're going to die. And then what will God say to you? What think ye of Christ? I didn't have time to think about Christ. Well, I was building schools or, 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 or given medicine. But you didn't trust in him as your, your sin bearer. What will a man give? What will you give in exchange for your soul? The Jews killed Christ for political power. Judas killed Christ for 30 pieces of silver. They didn't want. He lives. God in the flesh lives. He lives for me. I'm going to live with him in heaven. They didn't want that. They wanted their sin. They wanted the world. And what did they lose? They lost everything. Beloved, if you've ever sat with someone that's leaving this world, as many of us have had, someone that you've loved that's leaving this world, the Christian religion is decidedly an otherworldly religion. It is. Biblical Christianity. If you wanted this worldly Christianity, I am not your guy. I am not your guy. Biblical Christianity is decidedly otherworldly. Living for Christ now, and when we die, living for Christ throughout all eternity. Because he lives. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.